The amusement park which you are about to visit illustrates some of the many problems people of my age face on a daily basis. We intend for you to feel the problem, to experience it, and we ask for your sympathy as you watch. And when the film ends, we hope you will have the concerned interest to take action. Remember as you watch the film, one day you will be old. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you all brought your tickets because we're about to go to an amusement park. Yay! But not that not the fun kind. I don't know. Oh. Like it's gonna be I, there's gonna be uh random violence, uh bikers. <laughs> like it's gonna <laughs> there's gonna be some there's gonna be some shit that happens in this amusement park. So I, as I posted on our Facebook page, I know we had just talked about um uh, uh color was it I am the night color me black. Uh, and that's a very that's a very serious episode. And then we are going to move on to the next episode of the Twilight Zone, uh, which starts the final ten of the series. Actually, now I think about it, called Sounds and Silences. However, um, with Shutter, the streaming service, releasing uh, this film called The Amusement Park, uh, we figured we'd just jump on it because it's it's the quote unquote lost film of George Romero. And it's also like 51 minutes. So I feel like that was good for our discussions. And also I know, and Terry can speak to this more. And we talked a little bit about this during our Tales from uh, the Dark Side, the, the series episode, the, the, the pilot, um, that Romero is very important to you and, and, you know, and very foundational. So why not jump on this one? It's just come out because it's, it's, it, we're, we're never going to get a new Romero directed film again. Unfortunately, no. There is some material that he has out there um, that it's still trying to. They're trying to polish it up and try to get it out. Yeah. Um, you know, some scripts he wrote and that. But no, this was awesome. I'm glad that you brought it up. Um, a lot of people have been checking this out, and a lot of good buzz is happening about this movie. Um, I was stu- I was stoked. Stoked. I was, you know, it's it's an important time of year for me because you know, watching more movies, more stuff is coming out. You know, I'm just like jazzed about all this new stuff that's arriving onto uh shutter and everything so it's a good time um and you know it's kind of a it's relevant too we are uh, in about three weeks now something so, like that yeah. yeah we're going to be going out to the monroeville mall um they're going to be having a convention for um pretty much everything dawn of the dead day of the dead return of living dead centric uh, and they're going to have it right there at the mall where dawn of the dead was filmed and and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of merch for the amusement park there yeah, I mean, because Romero, like, I don't know if he was necessarily from Pittsburgh, but he he did a lot of his work around the the Western Pennsylvania area. Uh, so, like, a lot of like the you know, Night of Living Dead was shot near Pittsburgh. Uh, Dawn of the Dead was Monroeville. 
um, portions of Day of the Dead were shot there as well. Though the 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 um, the actual scene locations are shot in Florida or something like you know whatever, because Florida's known for you know tunnels that don't flood. I, whatever, but we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> and I know um, what was it? Um, his the all um, what was the one with uh, uh, Des Hopper? Um, Land of the Dead. Yep. Um, that was set in Pittsburgh. I don't know. I don't know if there was anything shot there, but so Pittsburgh is important, and that area is important to Romero. So. With this, um, with this convention, it just—it's kind of like the mall still exists. Uh, it's kind of found a second life, which is kind of poetic in the way that it's all about celebrating zombies. That the mall has become like this epicenter for all this. So yeah, we're going to be out there. I'm sure we'll report back. It will be a lot of fun, um, a lot of cross pollinization between us, other people that we know, um, or or we're all just going to bite each other to see what happens. We'll see. It could yeah. be, you know. It's going to be awesome. And then, you know, the people that put consensual that, biting. <laughs> yeah. You got to make sure that that's uh, the, the statement there. Consensual. Um, yeah. The, the uh, George A. Romero uh, Foundation puts together the, the convention. And if anybody is interested in it, they are not a sponsor, but uh, it is called Living Dead Weekend. And it is happening July 4, uh, July 2nd through the 4th in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And do you think they're going to do fireworks? And, and then when they do that, they're going to say there's flowers in the graveyard or whatever they said to the, <laughs> the dead. Yeah, they, uh, probably not. But they are going to have a cookout. Okay. Uh, hmm. uh, I wonder. I mean, wonder what's going to be at the cookout. I just whatever. Um, <laughs> meat. Meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Meat. Yeah. It's going to be like this. Tastes like tar, man. Uh, no. So with this though, like, like so the big deal. I mean, aside from the fact that this is like the the lost film of Romero, and we'll get into more about that. It's just. I, and I don't know if we went into big um, a lot of detail last time with your like this Romero is very foundational to your enjoyment of cinema and horror cinema. Most definitely. So yeah. speak to that a little bit because I have a, I mean I, I don't have the same grounding as you do or some of my other friends. Understandable. Um, I grew up in a household that loved watching horror, uh, slasher films, uh, suspense films, but always at the forefront was zombie films. Uh, my, my earliest memory of watching a movie is having the shit scared out of me by night of living dead old panel television that sat on the floor, sat right in front of that mofo and soaked up all of that goodness. That is, uh, Night of Living Dead. And from I mean, that point Aside on, from being in the theater, that seems about the best way to watch that movie. Yeah, like, it really, like, old yeah. crappy TV with, like, the lowest quality version of that film, too. And that's that's where I was cutting teeth, man. Like, it's always been Ramiro. Like, I just recently got back into my Ramiro kick. I just watched The Dark Half for the first time. Okay. I uh, love Dawn of the Dead. It's my favorite film of all time. Um, can't go wrong with Romero, honestly. He has a lot of social commentary in his uh, his films and that. And he was a gun for hire for a little bit of stuff. This was definitely one of those situations. And um, you know, he did he did a lot of commercial work. Um, he and he edited all of his stuff. The, I loved his uh, ability to do guerrilla filming. It's awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say I'd say workmanlike is a way I would probably describe. I mean, that's that's not a negative, right? Like I, I think the effectiveness. And again, I am speaking from somebody that is not as well versed in his filmography as Terry is. Uh, but even like his later stuff too. Like I, um, I watched uh, Night Riders for the first time like two years ago. That's an interesting film, but it definitely it, it feels like an independent film. Yeah. You know, and even his more well produced stuff, like I like I mentioned, Land of the Dead. Um, you know, and even like Creep Show. There's still the, those uh, edges to them that do feel very um, like I'm not saying he didn't understand his craft because he did. 
I just, I don't know. I just think maybe he just didn't care as much to do as like, I'm going to do this in the most stylistic way possible. It's like, nope, I'm going to do this the most effective way that I know how to get it done. And I think there's a difference there. Um, I know, I'm not saying it's always the most translatable to like the person just in passing to watch the film. And this means, this sounds like I'm shitting on, on Romero and I'm not, it's just, you know, some people, when they make films, they focus on different things. I think he was just trying to get his story across and um, like, what was the most direct way I could do this? And so I think, you know, he's not Hitchcock, you know, and he was, he wasn't trying to be Hitchcock. He wasn't trying to be any, he just was him, you know? And, uh, and I know he like said that he wasn't necessarily going to commentary, but how can you just, I think, I think he's also that guy who was professional enough to be like, yeah, my films, I want to put butts in the seats and not try to get super commentary with them in terms of his, his statements about him making movies. But even with this, with the amusement park, which he was directly hired to, to have something, he had something to say. Right. You know? yeah, definitely. You know, so, yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet him right before his passing. Um, you know, he seemed like a great guy. Um, everybody I've ever talked to, every celebrity, especially had had nothing but good things to say about Romero. So, uh, a talent lost, but uh, I'm glad that we get to see something like this. You know, years years after the fact, this was a lost lost film. Yeah, I mean, people hadn't known about it, right? It wasn't like it was like it, it'd been talked about. Like I know that much. Uh, supposedly, as the story goes, though, that like this was he he did this a gun for hire, like you mentioned, from the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania uh, in '73. Which this was like, you know. He was known for Night of the Living Dead at this point. Like, I don't know why our church group was like, hey, can you do this movie for us? He'd be like, sure. You know, um, that feels very Ed Wood, where he was like, I'm going to go do this movie for these people, and then we'll make Plan 9, <laughs> like, type of thing. Um, so I don't know what they, like, I'm sure they watched that, and they're like, oh, this is terrifying. It's like, oh, yeah, we maybe we shouldn't have had the zombie guy make a church movie. <laughs> uh, whatever. I think it's, I, so, yeah, he did this. They immediately shelved it because they felt that, like, that didn't meet their needs or how they wanted to do it. And then eventually they, like uh, it, uh, a 16 millimeter print was discovered in 2017. A lot of work has went into restoring this into 4k, even on shutter. Like the film looks, it looks okay, but you can see they put a hell of a lot of work to even get this thing like to where what I don't, it's just, I I'm sure I'm not even aware of like, cause it I mean, it looks dated and, and faded. Right. But there's only so much you can do there, but it makes me wonder what this print looked like before they cleaned it up. Well, I was listening to an interview um, that the Garf Network had actually done. Um, that's the George A. Romero Foundation. And uh, the, the, the company that um, refurbished it and, and brought it back to life, they said it was in terrible condition. Like even some parts were actually like mangled and ch chopped into pieces <laughs> and that basically. So no one cared about this thing. It just sat. And it w if somebody wouldn't have done a, you know, their bit to keep this thing alive, uh, no one would have ever seen it, you know. It's it's kind of it's kind of disappointing. It would have faded into the into the past, and no one would have ever talked about it. But you know, it took a lot of love to get it to this point. And I mean, there probably wasn't a whole lot of money going around. But George A. Romero, he wasn't really like that ecstatic about this thing. He was like, "Well, it was a thing," but now yeah. people are out there and they're appreciating it, and they're. We're ha we're having discussions like this again about somebody who's been deceased I, I, for four yeah, years. Yeah, I read an interview that, about his wife mentioning that when they 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 found the print, and they watched it a few weeks before he passed, and and she's like, "Well, why don't you ever tell me about this?" He's like, 
I, it was a three day shoot. I got paid to do it. Like Mm -hmm. basically he's like, this isn't me. Like, why would I bring this up? But then she made it a point to be like, I think a lot of the complete completionists out there would want to see this. She's like, I I like the hesitation of like, I don't know how the zombie people will feel about it. I'm like that. Like that's a big statement because I'm going to guess there's certain lanes of um, film fandom where it's like, you got your, your dead movies and you got your other Romero stuff. Like I, I, I'm sure it's feast or famine with some fans. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are people out there that think Monkey Shines is like the best movie ever that he did. I don't. That's not me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there or Diary of the Dead. But you know, not that's not me either. I didn't think Diary of the Dead was the worst thing. It just was kind of there. Yeah. Like I hate to use the words DOA to describe like a Romero <laughs> film. I also heard what was a survival of the dead had some interesting ideas, but was like not even that great either. You know, and and I fashioned myself to be somewhat of a completionist of of his work and it, but I have never seen Survival of the Dead, and I watched Diary of the Dead one time. And, you know, and it's, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I love his work, but it, when you see the writing on the wall and you kind of want to remember things in the shine, like the shiniest version of it that you can, like Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, fantastic films. Land of the Dead was a good movie. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, but it's like after that, it's like you just want to kind of leave it as is because you're like, it's untarnished. It's uh, my, my memories are going to stay the same. I know that sounds really hypocritical of me, well, but, uh, but I also feel like he got locked in that people people weren't willing to fund anything that he did unless it had zombies involved, right? And I know that's not because I don't think he wanted to be the zombie guy. I, no, and he he he. A lot of directors are like that too. They get pigeonholed. They can't uh, go outside of those like barriers that everybody's created for them because it's the fandom. You know, yeah. Wes Craven wanted to do so many other things outside of horror as well, but every time that he released something that wasn't horror. He would like the movie would fall on its keys, and that sucks because yeah. I mean he's an he was an amazing mind as well when it came to filmmaking. I mean, Romero also did Martin, which we'll talk about briefly, um, and you know Creepshow, of course, the cinematic gold right there. Yeah, so, yeah Creepshow's a lot of fun. I love um, that movie, and The Dark Half was actually a really good film. I I haven't seen it in forever. I remember the book. Um, I I have seen the movie, but it's been I it's one of those things that I know I've seen it. But other than like just brief flashes of it, it's gone from my mind. Yeah. And I'm just glad that he was able to get out a little bit from the, you know, the zombie stereotype. Like you're the zombie guy (laughs) and he still was able to create great films. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is a zombie story. Well, there's two zombie stories in Creepshow, but, you know. Well, yeah, but that was like that was from Stephen King. It was a collaboration. Uh, You know, it was like two storytellers coming together. Right. And Mm. then even. um. I don't know if you know this or not. There's um, a Stephen King short story called, I think it's called home delivery okay. that he did. That uh, was his kind of like, cause there was an, a, a, a compendium an anthology put out that were all short stories set in Romero's dead universe. And King contributed one. Nice. And it was a, it was a cool story. It dealt with a woman on like one of those small new England, like islands that, you know, people could travel to during the winter when it's frozen over or whatever. Got to take a ferry. Um, the, you know, the Romero apocalypse hits, uh, this this island is kind of dealing with everything okay because they're kind of small off, but she's pregnant and is expecting to deliver a baby soon. And then like this hits and it's like, it's a creepy story, but it, it's, it's perfectly in line with the Romero zombies. So I, I would recommend that. So you can tell that like 
his work has influenced others, and it's it's going to be a touch point, right? I mean, for goodness sake, we mentioned Land of the Dead. We see, um, you know, was it uh, uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg show up there, right? After after Romero, like he really enjoyed Shaun of the Dead, and I guess he didn't even realize the whole bit of him them yelling out, "We're coming to get you, Barbara," was a reference to his film until someone's like, "Dude," he's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> like, <laughs> So yeah, he's influenced a lot, and and so I think it's important that even even something that's a work for hire like this, I think I think it's important to see because you you're definitely seeing a filmmaker at a certain time. This was before, um, I think this was before Dawn of the Dead, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so seventy eight was when Dawn came out. Yeah, so I mean, he you know he was just trying to try to still kind of probably find his legs and just be like, this is going to put food you know bread on the table. Let's just do it. So you're finding a creator um, at before he hit his peak. So I think that's interesting to me to see what is the work in progress with this creative mind. Right. And, it, you know, it, especially when you're you kind of have the rails of what somebody else is putting in front of you, too, because um, this was written by uh, Wally Cook. Um, I don't know any other credits for him, but uh, written by him. And it was for that that found that with that association or whatever the Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, yes. so and it's like they knew what they wanted out of it. So it's like, well, here's the blueprints. Give it to the guy. And actually, from the the one podcast that I listened to, um, R- Ramiro was actually recommended by somebody else. They're like that that group was like, hey, do you know a director? And he's like, yeah, I know a guy. And then, so Ramiro was the guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's kind of like whenever what was it? Uh, Tom Petty was doing a was it the song "Learning to Fly" and he had like Ringo there and he's like, "Hey, it's like, do you know?" It was either Ringo or a George Harrison and he asked the one. He's like, "Hey, no." He asked George Harrison. He's like, "Do you know any drummers?" He's like, "I know one." <laughs> like, okay, well, you, okay, great, bring him in, right? So with this, maybe it's also because he knew maybe he could shoot on budget and on time. Because that's the big thing, like we just talked about with um, uh, Ida Lupino with the masks. Like she was really known for, you know, let, let's be, let's get as creative as you can. But the clock's ticking, money's burning, and maybe uh, Romero, since he shot, you know, like you refer to him as grill filmmaker, he knew what it was like to not have a budget. So that might have been like, listen, we got three days. We have a amusement park that's willing to lend itself to our efforts. Can we get this done? You Which know? you would never see that anymore. No, no one no, would no, no, ever no. do that. No, uh, it would have to be a very small, privately owned business, and they weren't doing well as a company either. And that was the uh, the amusement park this was filmed in was the the Westview Park uh, in uh, Westview, uh, Pennsylvania. Which um, it, it no longer stands. Uh, it was ripped down in 1979, I believe. There was yeah, lots, so lots of arson longer. fires. Yeah, so they closed down. Uh, and there was a like basically like a strip mall that was put on top of it in '81. So uh, yeah, the fact that they were able to that got full of zombies later. No, yeah, I'm right. kidding. It's not the wouldn't it have been a wouldn't that have been a hell of a thing where it's like if that park would have got torn down, they're like, oh, where was that Monroeville? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been sweet. But yeah, the, the fact that he was able to take a, a, a shooting spot like that and just do this kind of this narrative with it was awesome. Like he did a great job. And only in three days. He only had three days to that, shoot. That's this. the part that blows my mind yeah. watching this because it's like there's a lot of um, there's a lot of surreal ideas going on here. So there's also a lot of like prop making that goes into this, right? Uh, and it's like, and also a lot of coordination because I know a lot of these, a lot of the actors in this are volunteers, uh, and th- and it's like, and I, like you don't don't judge us for the acting. Like Lincoln Ma- Mazel does a great job. 
and he's the one like the one actor in this. Like, I mean, to my knowledge, right? Because this gets a little weird too. Like, we normally talk about casting crew here on the show. This is going to get out in the weeds. We only have one guy to focus on. The rest of the rest of the people did okay. You know, like I'd almost view this as like you know, like a, like um, like a, an independent film or like a college project. So you can't always like be like, oh well, the acting was kind of off. It's like, yeah, these are real people. They had three days. Film was a commodity at that time. Like you only had so many feet of film to shoot, right? It's, so it's filmed on sixteen millimeter too. Yeah. So, so the, the reels in that aren't very big. So you you got to shoot fast and hope like. And yeah, whatever. So it, the fact that this thing got done the way it did is also kind of interesting to me. That that's surprising. And in from what I'm reading here on Wikipedia, I'm not sure how you know how much the, I can hold this to truth, but apparently it was only thirty seven thousand uh, dollars for the budget. This is only fifty two minutes too. Like like you were saying, lots of people that participated in this gave up their time at free will. Like they didn't charge. Yeah. I, the only person, that, uh, from what I understand, who did get paid was Lincoln, Lincoln Mezzel. Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, Romero, And which he right? donated uh, almost all of that money towards getting this movie, um, like, out. And, nice. And, like, actually produced. Well, and he would be rewarded later because, like, to speak of him, you, you mentioned he was in the film Martin, which um, I got to, you know, I, I got to admit something here. I just got to admit. Oh, shut up, Paul. I've never seen Martin. <sighs> <laughs> I'm, I was a, I was a late bloomer on this one too. Um, so I, I probably saw it for the first time about two years ago. Oh, oh okay, just two years yeah. ago. Okay, fine. You're older than me. You, you oh. have to be more ashamed. Don't don't age shame <laughs> me on the episode of the amusement park. Uh, oh, what is? Oh gosh, I have a band aid on my forehead now. What happened? Oh. Where's my watch? <laughs> I, I will say that uh, Martin, I like Martin. Um, that is definitely one of those kinds of movies that existed. Is that what the sitcom's based off of? Shenanigans <laughs> <laughs> in it and everything. I don't know. I just maybe. <laughs> no, it's uh, it is it's a vampire flick, uh, sort of. Uh, and uh, he he plays the uncle of uh, our titular character Martin, okay. and um, he is goofy in that. I will just put it that way. He's goofy. You need to see Martin. If if you guys have not seen Martin, please watch it. It is, uh, please watch that with a, like no children in the room because that is a, that's a rough film to watch. I, I like, um, do you think that the listeners, like I've lost complete credibility where it's like, I've not seen this one film. I was like, boop off. Like, you know, like, I don't know my, my roadmap of like horror and, and, and like genre and subgenre is real spotty at times. Like, I don't know. It gets a little weird. I, I think that, the, that, that when you, you know, of a certain film, you kind of do have to preface like this discussion sometimes because I think people put on Night of the Living Dead for their children. And they're like, hey, it's Romero. I could put this on. No problem. There yeah. is there's enough nudity in that film yeah. in Martin that it's probably not a good idea yeah. for well, children well, also, <laughs> to like, be exposed like, to it. Like, it wasn't unrated because like the way it got released. So like it got like shown a lot of places that without like context. Right. Like, yeah. It was, it was shown in a lot of seedy places too. Well, uh, <laughs> fair enough. You know, especially uh, in New York. Uh, um, um, there's not a lot of nudity in this film though. I can tell you that. Um, not, no, no, I'm kidding. There's no nudity whatsoever. Uh, it's a lot of mid drifts, a lot of mid drifts. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, like, I guess, um, like you, you know, you've already mentioned, uh, our, our main actor. I mean, there's really not much else in terms of cast. Like, I mean, this isn't kind of one of those movies, right? So, um, 
I don't know the way I thought about approaching this is one. If you guys have not seen this film, get Shutter. There's I, I like, can I speak about Shutter. Like I, I like I um <clears throat> I've borrowed somebody's login for Shutter. Mm. Uh, if if I didn't already have like eight other thousand streaming services. Shutter has like been like impressing me over and over again about their content. Right. I know we're not, we're not sponsored by Shutter, but like some of these streaming services that are very, like they have like a very narrow uh, focus. Shutter keeps like finding ways to keep adding more and more value with their documentaries, with like with creep show, the, the series uh, with a lot of their quote unquote originals that they get exclusivity for. Um, yeah, Shutter's knocking it out of the park. And for them, I mean, I don't know how much they paid for this. I'm sure it was a fair amount, but also like who who else would put the money into getting a Romero lost film than Shutter? Right. And where's this marketplace going to be for them? Like if yeah. if Netflix would have picked this up, it, it honestly is this really like a marketable thing for Netflix? I don't think so. No, I think that they, they got Orson Welles uncompleted film and that was a big deal. The other side of the wind, they completed that. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, th- that was a big push where it's like, this is his, like his film that never got released. Orson Welles and George Romero, though, are different, fi- different appreciations and different, like, you know, filmmakers. Right. So I think like shutter was the right, avenue for this yeah this was like that's a perfect landing spot for it um they know that there's already like a built-in clientele that would be interested in this um they have at least a couple of romero films already that are on that service and don't forget that they have the creep show series so there it's it's already uh connected there's that connective tissue there yeah which um yeah like you said we're not sponsored by them but i will i'll give them big kudos because they have a lot of foreign films that they put on there a lot of kung fu they've been putting on there too like it's it's kind of what I was hoping to get a little bit more out of when, um, like what what was Rodriguez's uh, thing? Oh, uh, El Rey, the El Rey uh, Network. Yeah, the El Rey yeah. Network. I was I was really thinking about signing up for that, but then I saw a lot of the same kind of content was being released to Shutter. I'm like, well, dude, I'm gonna give them my money, and they are picking up a lot of things, like you said, like they're updating. Um, you know, like what they've picked up every week now, like they yeah, add a couple of things here and they there. They do. And like with the, the last drive in with Joe Bob, like he always awesome. spotlights interesting stuff. Uh, and also like you mentioned the other films, like I, I am a big fan. I know I've, I've showed Terry a psycho Gorman. That's a shutter exclusive now. Like they're like, they keep just, if you are a horror fan or if you're just sniffing around the edges of horror, Shutter, it's like eight bucks a month or something too. Like it's, it's really just, not bad. Like, and they have it, a free trial for uh, seven days. So it's like, yeah, you could binge a bunch of different stuff, but I think that you're going to come back to it because how cheap it is. And uh, the fact that there is a lot of stuff that's on there that Netflix and Hulu just said, nah, never mind, And they picked it up. Well, that, I mean, those services are also advertising towards a broader market. Right. Where I think shutter is like, they, they know their audience, which is great. Um, so yeah. So while you're sitting on your Casper mattress, eating your blue apron meal, uh, <laughs> just, you know, walking, to shutter um i don't know bitcoin i don't know <laughs> we're not sponsored by anybody but yeah anyway, give us stuff um hey, so you know shutter if you do want to sponsor us yeah, hit great. us up that's fine wink, you know wink. but they'd be like but you guys talk about the twilight zone that's on paramount plus but like damn it <laughs> no no they're like well we'll talk about other things if you pay us it's fine all right i'm sure they have anthology series to talk about on there um anyway 
uh, so yeah, Shutter's a great service. I'm glad that they actually spotlight this and actually put the time to kind of like properly like announce it and get people excited. I mean, the poster I linked on the Facebook page, I, that had to have been created by like the the um, the foundation um, uh, Garf, um, the George uh, Graf Garf, Garf. Yeah, George yeah Garf yeah, George A. Romero. There you go. I just um, foundation. But it's like that's a cool poster because that would that obviously didn't exist for the film when it was made because I'm sure no church would sign off on that. It's a very upsetting piece of artwork. I like it a lot. Um, but yeah. So anyway, the way I figured to approach this is warning people, watch this once, um, at least once. Cause you're going to come out the other end. Like this isn't, this isn't a horror movie per se in the sense of like, there's no like zombies. There's no vampires. Uh, I think there's the, um, the grim reaper a couple times. Yeah. Uh, and like, there's some upsetting bikers, but this isn't like a horror film more, more so like if you think Romero is good about commentary and kind of like, uh, dancing or not dancing around, but like, um, relishing like metaphor, that's this film. And it makes it uncomfortable to watch for that knowledge. And I've heard quite a bit of people already, uh, kind of consider it like a PSA. So well, I, it was I, supposed to, it was a public service announcement about elder abuse and is what it was. And they went more like, especially at the beginning when you hear the gentleman talk about like, we want you to feel this film. That's the important thing to take away from this is like, watch it once. It's not a pleasant watch. It was never intended to be. It was designed to be like upsetting to you. And it's not upsetting in the sense of like, you know, I don't know, um, human centipede or like a Serbian film or anything like that. It's just more like real world upsetting. Like, oh, this is what people go through? Yeah. So with that being said, watch it once. Your mileage may vary, but I think it's important to watch it once. Um, the breakdown of this, it feels like a series of vignettes to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's a cohesive narrative in the sense, but it feels like our, our main character, which I don't even know. Did we have a name for him? No, he, there was never a, any name released so, for any of these characters. So I called him the old man the entire time. It's just him. Like, it's just, it's just kind of him wandering. Like, we have a wraparound, but it's just a lot of him encountering what's going on here. So um, I'm, I'm going to put it on you, Mr. Romero fan. Where, heck, how do we start this? Well, um, to begin it off, um, you know, we got that uh, intro that you put on that we see um, Lincoln walking through the empty amusement park. And he, he prefaces everything that you're about to watch. And that's when um, we go black. And when we open up again, there's this all white room with white uh, chairs very small room and we see Lincoln um, our actor Lincoln and he it looks like he got the shit beat out of him yeah he's wearing white but his suit is tattered it's like it's a it's a white dress suit with a white tie and a white dress coat uh, and he's like sweaty uh, dinged up his, his his clothes are all messed up he has a, a bandaged square on his forehead like you know, he's been road hard and put away wet yeah it's yeah. he's not in good shape. Um, and that's, uh, he's, he's also very winded. Um, we, we see, uh, somebody comes into the room and, uh, in walks Lincoln. It's, it's also Lincoln and he is, he looks pristine. He, his hair is all nicely combed and everything. There's no dirt on his suit. And he says to him, Hey, uh, hello. He's like, uh, do you ever leave this room? <laughs> do you, do you want to go outside? And that's when we get, um, a, a bit of dialogue from the other character, where he just says, no, don't do it. Don't go out there. There's nothing out there. And he's like, well. They're going to serve you beans and something. I don't know. It's beans and weird. french fries. Yeah. And, then, and then eventually he's like, they're going to make you eat peanut butter with your fingers. It gets weird out there. Um, but, 
And he eats some French fries. Yeah, that's right. It's like, oh, that's all they serve at Pittsburgh. I don't even know what's going on. That sounds like a Pittsburgh thing. It, if, <laughs> no, they could put that on a, a sandwich. That's that's a Pittsburgh thing, right? So you got to, have you ever had like a, a panini? A, yeah, a panini yeah. where it's like you got to have the fries in the middle and then putting baked beans on it does not, I'm sure that they're like, oh, it's just called a South Side. Like what? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, the, the, the cleaned up uh, version of Lincoln uh, says, well, hey, you know, I'm going to go out there. Um, there's something going out there. I want to see what. I want to see what it's all about. Yeah. And then he walks out who he opens up the door and we see that there is this very busy, uh, uh, midway in a, in a amusement park. And he walks out into it, closes the door behind him. But I like how it's just this random door door yeah. just sitting there. And I like that. Um, the way that that was shot, like the, the white room clearly was its own little thing. Right. And then they got the, the match cut of the door opening, to where they just took the frame and put it out in the midway and have him walk through it. It feels very um, um, Dark Tower to me, where it's just like a standalone door. It's very dreamlike. And it's like it was very, very cheap to to do. And I'm saying that as a positive. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I didn't catch I didn't catch the outer frame of the door until the second time through, but that was awesome. The, the, the vibes I was already getting from the beginning, too, is the, you know, especially with that intro, I, I was feeling a little bit of Twilight Zone, you know, a little Rod Serling giving his little uh, yeah. two cents about that, what we're about to watch. That's why I pitched this to Terry and, and for, for you folks out there for our detour, because I had plans of just straight running the last 10 episodes of the season because I know we'd be kind of kicking the can you know, a little bit. But I think I think Serling would have appreciated this because there is metaphor and commentary. And the way that this thing is uh, it's introduced and the way it's like ended feels like it's kind of in his wheelhouse as well. So I was like, why not talk about this in front of everybody? It feels perfect. Yeah, definitely. So um, so now that uh, Lincoln, the old man, the elderly man, is uh, in the um, the amusement park, he's walking around. He looks like he's having a good time. We see a lot of kids. We see a lot of families and that. They're, they're, uh, they're all having a good time. And uh, slowly but surely, he's he's more and more getting surrounded by elderly people. And which I mean, that that is the main focus in this ep- or this uh, this movie um, that how the elderly are being treated throughout this amusement park and how they appear to others, right? Yeah. So uh, they're just being passed over. No one's talking to them. They're they they don't really look all that happy either. They look no. like it's difficult for them to get around because you got a lot of kids running around them and everything. Um, you know, they uh, most of those people have walkers or canes or even in wheelchairs. Yeah, I mean, if you guys have ever been on a busy midway at like an amusement park or like a county fair, it's like it can be um, like salmon going upstream. Mm-hmm. And then the way these people are just dismissed as they're trying to just get along, it's, you know, it, it, it really just it feels very real, right? So I would say this gets us into what I call vignette one, where it is um, you find that, uh, that the old man wants to, he gets in line with the rest of these elderly people to try to buy tickets for the park to do things, to still be part of the amusement park, to get in there, to experience. And there's this guy that's like, you know, the one that's the broker. We'll see him again later. Uh, anybody, they keep bringing in like their um, worldly possessions or their experiences. And he's like undercutting them with like five bucks, five bucks. Um, no matter what the va- the inherent value is to them and their experiences, he doesn't care. He just wants to like, like just get out of my face. And that, you know, it's a little, it's a little, um, ham-handed which some of these metaphors are but it, it definitely lets you know from the start like oh this is going to be a weird ride yeah and uh the actor that plays him is uh michael cornick um he's been a he's been at the local uh 
um, horror film convention here in uh, in Ohio. Um, do he was he worked on Day of the Dead. Um, he worked on Dawn of the Dead. He he's like kind of a Swiss Army knife. Oh, uh, I, I so I didn't realize there's other Romero connections in terms of actors. Thank you for um, clearing that up. That's yeah, cool. Yeah. So he did some photography work on this. Uh, so if I go for an autograph, he's going to be like, "It's twenty. I'm like, "No, I'll give you five. If I <laughs> <laughs> and you get a shake uh, like uh, the Freddy Krueger uh, yeah. dollar yeah, bills. He, in take, front he of takes. Uh, it, he does the thing that like that would happen where people take dollar bills and fold them and put them between the spaces of their fingers as they're working as like a carnival barker. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, no. I want to go up. I want to go up and give him like a broken clock and be like, "Hey, can I get an autograph?" Be like, "It'll be twenty bucks." I'm like, "No, here's a broken clock, five dollars." That's what we're gonna do. This, he's a nice dude too. I I got the pleasure of meeting him, and I will be meeting him again now, especially knowing that he worked on this. Um, he's he's kind of skeezy. Like, uh, he, I mean, like that's kind of his character in the movie. You mean, oh, you mean in the movie? In the movie, yeah. Oh, nice like, guy yeah, plays I, skeezy I, character. I just like to hear to hear the phrase. <laughs> he's really nice. Kind of skeezy. <laughs> You know, means well. I've met those kinds um, of guys too. Protect but no. your wife and children, but pretty nice. No. No, he Mike, has a knife on him at all times, but pretty nice. No, no Michael Kornick is a very nice guy. Okay. Um, but yeah, so he, he um, like you were saying, he um, he's wheeling and dealing with these people. So he's like he's taking trade that people are bringing up. So they're bringing up jewels, or they're bringing up uh, you know broken clocks. It's, it's it's what they have left at the end of their life, right? And he. Is like if you want to get in here and play in the amusement park, you got to pay, right? Kind of thing. And then when we get our character, the old man, being like he's trying to offer cash, and he's like, I only have enough for half. And he's like, Fine, fine, fine. Gives him tickets, right? And the tickets become a thing, a focus, right? So that's the very first thing, though. It's like you get like this notion of like, oh man, these people are still trying to stay stay in this experience, but they don't like. After a certain point, you don't have like you don't have what society wants you to bring, so. They're going to cut you off the knees. That speaks loudly. And it, it just keeps getting louder and louder as this movie goes on, right? Because even right after this, he's loud in the park. He has tickets. A lady runs into him, into the old man, and spills a drink on him. And she blames him, and he has to apologize. Yeah. She says, uh, why don't you watch where you're going? It's like, dude, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're not watching where you're going either and just spilled your drink all over this dude. This old, this poor old guy who's got like grape soda all over his shirt now, which disappears later. <laughs> he has a, he must have one of those like uh, tied napkins. You know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I mean, yeah, the, the varying degrees of stains that show up on his suit do vary. You're right. Uh, yeah. Like it's like three day shoot and there's a continuity director. Like, listen, we got to match all the stains on the suit. Um, so we have a Fanta just, pour all over anyway so so yeah from there that's when i'd say we get on to vignette two which is um the roller coaster sequence uh I, I i wrote a note for most of the signs that he saw while getting in line it said uh please note requirements for this ride must have individual income over thirty five thousand or 3500 sorry or 35 no 3500 uh, 35000 I, I wrote a lot of zeros um must pay cash no existing pre, like conditions and there's a whole list of conditions uh and then um yeah uh, it, it's like, it's this whole thing of like, you're going to go on this ride and it's like, must not fear the unknown. And it's a mix of people getting on this ride and they're not sure what's going on, but it's like, but they have to get on it. And then we get this really weird seventies music as everybody's riding the roller coaster. Yeah. And there's also the dude that's, um, allowing some people get in and, uh, turning away quite yes. a bit of people. Which, uh, you know, fortunately for Lincoln, he's able to get on and he looks like he's he's pretty excited. He's going up the hill. And after that, he looks terrified for the rest of the yeah. ride. Everybody else looks like they're having a blast. 
he looks like he's about to like his pacemaker is about to blow. Like it's not good. Yeah. Just just because you can ride the ride doesn't mean you want to. But right. I felt like he was for like it just felt like that's what everyone else is doing. You gotta do it. Again, metaphor. But yeah. So but the the 70s music, it's just so like I, I wish I could have captured it, but there's like this the sound mix in this isn't great, but again, it's coming from a lost film that they restored a lot of it. So I'm guessing the audio like what is here is it's serviceable and wonderful. And I can't even imagine what it was before they started. So, but the music is odd. Yeah. And it's, it's very strange. Ugh, and it feels like uh film strip music, <laughs> you know, like boop, boop, like as the film, it's like, I don't like any of this music anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so as they get, they're getting off of the ride, um, like, he's, he's helping some old, other uh, old, older lady, into her wheelchair, but th- there was like these weird, like, pe- like the, what was the priests? Yeah. The priests. Yeah. what was up with the priests? I'm still trying to figure out what that metaphor was going on because the, you see two priests carrying an overly large Bible. The only reason I figure that out is that later they, um, they hand it off, but it's like, they're, they're, it's like they're viewing. If, if, if you're asking me right now, what I think the movie's trying to say is that they're staring down at the Bible and making sure that, that that's being carried through without any, without any hesitation. And they're not looking at anybody around them that honestly needs help. And I think, I think that's what's being said. I don't know. Cause also um, they get on the trolley and that's when we see uh, uh, what I believe is the grim reaper. So, I'm not sure. Yeah, that know? was there was like this really goofy mask that they had on him too. The yeah. large, large mask, and yeah. it was just really off putting. It looked about as bad as Dark Side from the Zack Snyder cut. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, um, no, but it's like we got that whole bit too with the priest riding the ride, and then like you know, and it was a more pleasant ride, and you could tell that our character was like enjoying it. But a lot of older people are on it because it was like not as you know intrusive. It's a little tiny train that runs to the park underneath the, the scary roller coaster, and then when, when they get off of there, um, it almost then transitions into like I don't know, like a bus depot or an airport, yeah, like, where people are getting off, being greeted by loved ones and family, yeah. Um, and then like the priests are trying to carry their Bible off, but there's also like a really large crate that there's an, old, an older woman sitting on, which. I kind of view as like she's sitting on her own coffin. I don't know. Like there you're you're gonna take a lot from this film and different thing. I just there's there's a lot of the symbolism that I, part of me adores, but part of me is just like, can you tell me what you're saying? Can you please just can someone just say this is what this means? I'm like, thank you, movie. I don't know some but but it gives you this kind of uncomfortable feeling because our character, the old man sees something that is bothering him about this woman that can't carry her own large box while there's two priests carrying a Bible easily amongst themselves. So he like taps them and be like, Hey, go help them. And he pays, what was it? Um, he pays the money to somebody that goes and just grabs the Bible from the priest. So they don't have to carry it, but they ignore the woman. Ah, oh, man. Very just, strange uh, event here. Yeah, everything here sounds like if I was trying to describe like a like a like a, a prog rock song from the seventies. I don't know, like you know, the woman sits in the box, the priests carry the book, no one watches. Like I don't know. Yeah, this is Brow, yeah. You know, this like, is like uh, Peter Gabriel's uh, <laughs> a Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like even like the the kids that are getting off the the trolley thing, they're wearing um, lays and they're like say hello to what I. Imagine imagine as their grandmother it's, yeah 
it's, it's there's all, luggage. It's there's weird. also this thing too, where like no one's there to greet our character and some of the older people, like you get that notion too, that you lose value. If there's aren't people, if there aren't people around you that don't greet you at the end of your ride. Like I just, again, I'm going to, I'm going to get out in the weeds here, but this movie, I, I credit to it. The demands you to, to, to watch it and make up your own assumptions and credit to it for at the very beginning when they say, we want you to feel this. Yes. Um, it's, it's not the most, uh, um, cleanly presented movie. And I, I, I guess part of that's also by design, but you know, there's a lot here that's in the margins that I, I don't think I'll ever understand. Right. And there's some really quick edits in here too. So if you're not paying attention to this movie, there are certain things that you will miss. I missed the grim reaper. The first viewing, like yeah. uh, him being on the train, I was like, Whoa, and I, I missed the thing with the donkey uh, trail later. Like I'll, I'll mention that like when we get to it, that, that's not, that's not a metaphor. There's people being ridden by don they're riding donkeys. There's not like, you know, anyway. So yeah. Um, vignette four, I, I call, I call the trolley vignette three. I don't know, whatever vignette four. I call it's the eye exam on bumper cars that we happen. So we have, uh, we have our character go near um, the bumper cars and we see an older couple that are trying to get access to the bumper cars. And the the couple, it's a man and a woman, and the, the man can't pass the eye exam. So the guy is like, hey, you can no longer drive. Your your wife can, but you can't. Um, like, you can't have a license because you can't pass an eye chart test, which we understand that's directly speaking to there's a point where the elderly are being, um, you know, looked down upon because they can't have the basic services and rights that we believe that we are owed. So they own the bump on the bumper cars and we have this whole sequence of everybody on the bumper cars. And there's a younger guy that, uh, waves to his right, but then makes a left with the bumper cars. He, he waves to his left, left that he's going to make a left hand right. tip, which yeah. they're all going left anyways. Cause they're going it's in a, a bumper circle. Car. Yeah. It's, right. it's, you know, anyway. And I love the, yeah. the audio uh, fed into this too, where it's just like, like they're on the autobahn or something <laughs> what are you doing it's like i've been in bumper cars i need those noises you know um, i think i do that every time i'm yeah. like like i'm gizmo and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. perfect yeah so the older couple hits hits the guy that missignaled and then there's the i will say that i like well like the whole thing where he gets up, he's like, how old are you? She's like, I'm 60, whatever. And he was like, old woman shouldn't be driving. And she's like, do you not know your left from your right? I'm like, that's a valid question. Uh, but then like a cop shows up, a, like a street cop, like on a motorcycle, <laughs> yeah. like, which is, it's funny. Cause it's like, I get, it's like, Hey guys, we're living in metaphor land. Here's a cop now. Like, <laughs> And I guess, you know, and, and it's probably, it makes a lot more sense the fact that it's in an amusement park. Mm -hmm. So you're already in this, this almost like make believe world where you can do crazy things like ride roller coasters and see clowns and all kinds of amazing things. And the Grim Reaper and the Grim Reaper. You know, yeah. You know. Sneaking up on you. Um, but like, yeah, the cop showing up and then he's trying to get the, the word in and actually like the dude who made the turn signal, whatever he was a real dick. Yeah. Well, real because dick. He, Cause the, um, <laughs> I hate to say it. Uh, there's these people that will, if you talk loud and fast, somehow you're right. Mm -hmm. And that has not changed in the year of our Lord, 2021. Yeah. There's an explosion behind me that's saying you're right, Paul. There you go. But <laughs> it's like, he's the same, it. the same thing too. It's like the, all the involved are older people. So he feels like he can run rough shot over them. 
And, and then even they have a point where like, was well, the third insurance man shows up, which is also kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, and they're like, oh, your premiums are going to go up because of this. And uh, the, the older man and the couple like was like, we can barely afford them now, which is speaking to what's going on. But then our character, our old man says, hey, I witnessed this. That guy missignaled, you know, and the cop's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm Pittsburgh cop. I'm, let me hear everything. And I'll let you know what I come up with. And then uh, it re- it's revealed that as our character is saying, like, here's my license. Here's my information. He's like, well, where are your glasses? And it says like, here you're supposed to be riding with glasses. And then that's when, of course, our, D-Bag driver, Supreme yeah. over here yeah. um, is just like, well, I see it. Blind guy. Going to listen to the blind guy over here? He's like, yeah, jeez. Yeah, yeah. I, and the cop doesn't even bother to ask if he's nearsighted or farsighted. You know, and it's like, and then he just automatically, we assume he take. well, we, we do find out that uh, he does take the word of the, the younger man because we find out that later. Kind of. Um, so, so yeah, there you go. It shows like all the old people involved are discredited because one young man, you know, yells a lot. Right. So uh, the vignette four, which is what I call the gross um, beans and fries vignette. Um, this is whenever the, the food happens. Um, yeah, this yeah. one's this one's super goofy too. It's so, goofy but gross. <laughs> like, ugh. yeah. So uh, our our lead here, um, he sees that there's a refreshment stand, and he goes over and he's like, "All right, well, I'm I'm gonna get some refreshments here too." And he also arrives at the exact same time as some dude who looks like he has money falling out of his ass. So <laughs> yeah, he it, autom- it's the Monopoly Man without the monocle. <laughs> yeah. So, um, which Monopoly Man never had that. Oh, it's, yeah. did he ever, did he not have a monocle? He mon- never had a monocle. Oh, who has a monocle then? Is it? It's a peanut, Mr. Peanut. Oh, my, oh okay. It's the, what do they call that? The, uh. It's the Mandela effect. Yep. Yeah. I always thought Mr. Monopoly. Ha. Okay. All right. Dropping then. some knowledge on you people. Oh, okay. So Mr. Monopoly without a monocle, but and has a mustache like bags, the Pringle guy. Yeah, I know that much. Yeah. Mr. Moneybags. Yeah. So this guy shows up, uh, JG Moneybags. Um, so he he arrives at the same time. He gets service immediately. So the maitre d, there's a maitre d. Just putting that out there. That's how goofy this is. So there's a maitre d, and then there is a. Now what is this? A Disney park? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> be our guest. Be our guest. No, I'm just talking. I can. I've not been to a Disney park, but I could imagine there's a secret like high roller area where like. They, you know, they, they like lick their, they lick your feet and they bring you everything you want. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure that I don't know why feet licking is important, but <laughs> I'm sure that rich people are like, Hey, money talks, me, man, bring me my overly large cigar. You're going to take my order with an overly large pencil and you're going to lick my feet. That's what I feel like. That's what's so, going to happen. Yeah. And he's got two guys, uh, servicing him, which that sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them's licking giving him feet. service. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, he's getting all the attention and, uh, our lead is trying to get a seat and they will not pay any attention to him. And of course, when he brings his tickets out, you hear the chick ching yeah. and that's when the major D is like, Oh, all right, well, you know, give me some of these, uh, go, go find a seat over there. And they're yeah. still all over the rich guy. And then finally, um, well, even then, while he's still waiting to be seated, um, you see, he looks over and sees a bunch of older people that are waiting and like they look miserable and it's like, and still somehow he was able to jump ahead because he actually had tickets. Right. So that even speaks to like, I mean, I'm sure it's speaking to privilege to a degree, but yeah, even then they're still fawning over the rich guy. Right. And so, you know, Maitre D goes to his, uh, I, I guess he's like a waiter or whatever. And he says, yeah, go deal with that dude over there. And he's like, ah, I don't want to, there's all like a lot of like hand waving and everything. There's it's, no it's dialogue. shot like a silent film right. in a lot of ways, which is cause there's over exaggeration of performance. 
uh, overly large props at times. I, I get that they're taking the piss out of like, you know, that kind of notion of like, it's almost like the old school, like, you know, haves and have nots that you'd see in some of those type of films. But I think it's also effective because they don't have to do sync dialogue. Just have everybody mug as hard as they can and we'll move on to the next scene. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, so the waiter goes over, he slams down a, you know, a salt shaker and a empty cup and doesn't take his order, doesn't get a menu uh, for yeah, the for yeah. our, our lead here. I've been to Diddy's before. I know how this goes. <laughs> yeah, 3 a.m. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, we're over here giving this guy lobster. We'll be right back, you son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> how, how dare you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. so, I bet you're going to ask for baked beans and fries, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so um so a, a moment later you know he 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 also the waiter brings out this slop i don't even it, is it baked beans because it dude it looks like dog food and french fries uh, i mean it's pretty I mean, gross it's, looking it's, I mean, here here's oh i'm gonna i'm gonna receive some flack for this it's pittsburgh who knows it could you know i'm joking um it's probably it's probably uh baked beans or like you know if, if we have any uh listeners in pennsylvania truly sorry we're just being goofballs Na- here. named our friends richard who's been on the show previously uh that <laughs> i will be i'll be talking to next week yes uh, like, you see if you get any skyline chi- chili over well, here no no the skyline isn't pennsylvania skyline's only ohio is it it's not in it's not in pennsylvania no. i thought they branched out i mean there might be like but skyline's cincinnati it's cincinnati yeah. yeah that's true so i guess bitching about beans and fries is no worse than bitching about chili and spaghetti. Yeah. Like, do you like Skyline? N- not really. Okay. It's not. <laughs> my buddy, my buddy, when we went down to Columbus, my buddy was like, dude, you got to try this stuff. It's the bee's knees, or at least that's how he was talking about it. And I was like, huh, it's, it's spaghetti with chili on it. And it's not very good chili. It's like very runny chili. I don't mind Skyline. Other, the other places will advertise as Chili Mac. Like, yeah. but, but like, I don't know, but I, but that's definitely more Ohio than Pennsylvania. So yeah. I can't shit on, I can't be like, how dare you guys have beans and fries when we have skylight in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> or we have, we have a finer palate over here. Sure. No, I'm again, I'm surprised they didn't put two pieces of bread between those fries and beans and call it a sandwich. Um, so yeah. yeah, so he gets served that and. You know he's about to dive into it, and he's still he's still noticing the people off to the side that are waiting. But I love how the rich guys he looks over and he looks disgusted by the fact that all, he can see these people. Yeah. And so the matron well, he gets served lobster. Yeah, and while he's smoking this overly large cigar, yeah, um, the, cartoonish. The, yeah, it's it's you know it it is uh, like Mister Moneybags or whatever. Yeah, it's very it's you'd find like every. Um, cartoon gangster smoking a cigar this big uh the maitre d pulls it like takes it from him like oh sorry like, you can go ahead and you can eat your lobster but yeah like he gets like the everything you know yeah. and yeah. he's sickened by the people over here he even like motions Looking like oh i can, ah, I can see them. them yeah so they they pull together they turn his table around and then pick this gentleman up by <laughs> while he's yeah. still sitting on the chair and then put him on the other side so he cannot see them so the view is skewed, so he can only see the uh, the other side, and not any of the other people. And then it's at this point where our lead says, you know, he motions to some of the people on the side, like, "Hey, you guys want a little bit of this food?" And that's when everybody just storms the table and just starts grabbing handfuls of food. And it is just 
I don't know. It's it kind of reminds me of Dawn of the Dead at this point. We're just like grabbing intestines, and it is gross looking. And that's when like all hell breaks loose in this little refreshment area. We, we need to make like a bread man that's just full of beans and have everybody pulled apart. That's <laughs> yeah. It's it's very gross just because like it's very matter of fact. Yeah, it's upsetting, right? And like I'd like I'd love I would love to find out. I'd be like, yeah, I got the idea for this from this other thing I did involving beans and fries. <laughs> And bread. Um, so yeah, at that point, then that's when we get our like um, we get uh, our, our character going over to just buy groceries, right? Like, actually, I'm sorry, I take that back. Um, yeah, you know, he goes, he gets groceries, right? And then he has like he gets too many that he can't even carry. Yeah. Um, which and then he like looks around and no one's willing to assist him, even though he can provide for himself. People still aren't trying; like, they aren't helping. Right, and so all he can take with him is uh, saltines and peanut butter. Yeah, he 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 has the ability to carry away one bag, maybe not all three bags, no, but, but one he, bag. He, and he's just like, yeah, the he fails. He failed there. That's on him. I'll give uh, that's on him completely. But that's when we get to the carousel. He sits down, looks at the carousel. Um, that's when we see Death riding a tiny painted horse. So tiny Death, I don't know, but the same mask, right? It's it's just carousel again. It's in a circle. It's it's a joy. Um, I don't trust carousels after reading um, something wicked this way comes. I don't trust that at all. So that I immediately my my you know I'm upset about this. But as this is going on, um, we see him eating uh, crackers and peanut butter in the weirdest way possible. Yeah. Uh, but he, <laughs> yeah, um, but he sees kids looking at him, and it's like suddenly he's like, I wrote my notes. Come on, kids, get some peanut butter crackers. Like from a stranger that you don't know. And it's like, he means well. And the kids are okay with it until like some guy like wearing a hard hat at an amusement park, which again, <laughs> metaphors like, Hey, you, you're some kind of pervert or whatever he says to him. Like, how dare you feed those kids sustenance? I'll give you about two seconds to get yeah. out out of here. And yeah. he, he looks like he's going to beat his ass. So of course, you know, our lead yeah. gets out of there, but I just, I don't know. It seemed like such an innocent thing, but of course, taken out of context. The whole notion because is like, why can't you trust this old man feeding kids? It's like it's there's that weird stigmatism, right? right? Yeah. And I, I mean, I my family warned me about you know taking things from strangers and that, so it's not yeah. too far fetched. And I, it was always like, well, what's that old creepy guy doing over there? You know, it's like it's always these stereotypes that still exist, and that's what they're trying to explain to you. This is just he's trying to do. He's trying to be a nice guy. Uh, making a nice gesture for these children and that. And of course, taken out of context. Someone misunderstands. Yeah. Right. So this is when we get to uh vignette five, uh, which is one of the wor- worst, like, like for me, like feeling things in this so far is that there's this big, like welcoming line of like younger people smiles, like looking at the older people, like, come on, that's fun. Just come on, come on, come on. And it's like, they're welcoming them into the, like this experience, right? Like they're going into, Whatever this is, right? Like a ride or something. Yeah, no one knows what it is. They're yeah. just like, and but it says like uh, elderly's. Uh, what it says something like um, preferred or something like something that. Something like made that, yeah, for yeah. elder. I don't know. Yeah, something weird like that. And uh, so they're just. It was get, like, wait, it's the Hallmark Channel, the room. Let's just go, and it just went. Yeah, yeah, yeah and there's yeah. like. I don't know, 20 people like there's people on both sides of these uh these elderly people like, like yeah you're gonna encouraging have a great time. yeah it's great you're gonna it's shady pines no <laughs> shady pines, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so um they're like but he's like i don't want i don't really want to go in here and he's like no you're gonna enjoy it and all of a sudden you can see that he's pushed and when he 
arrives in into this enclosure, whatever it is, it's actually like a workout area or it, it, a no, rehabilitation. It's a retirement home, yeah. and it's like it's one of the like the physical therapy rooms, and it is uh, one of the most upsetting things in this, aside from like the medical mart thing that we get to later, where these people are all just put off in this room. Uh, doing various exercises, but it's like it's like this. You can tell the staff doesn't care. It's like overcrowded. Uh, like they're forcing things on people. And at this point, our character, like he he touches like a walker and recoils from it because he he's pretty like he's pretty agile through most of this. Like he has his facilities about him or I got faculties, facilities, whatever. Anyway, his brain works good and his legs work good too. Mine don't. My brain, not my legs. Uh, so. Um, I've been eating too many beans and fries. Uh, so <laughs> blame it on the beans, beans and fries. fries, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah. So that he just, he eventually like, gets out freaks of it. Out. Yeah. He yeah. freaks out. He like, he goes almost manic and, uh, he's able to get out of the room. People are trying to still push him back into the room and, uh, still trying to confirm to him like, no, it's great. It's great. It's perfect. It's, you're going to have a great time. Yeah. It's the metaphor of like the younger, not knowing what to do with, the older, right? And so there's that, no, let's put them in a corner. They'll be good, right? So there, that's, you know, I'm glad that's gotten figured out since this movie came out originally, uh. yeah, right? Uh, so then at this point, this is when we learn, um, well, he actually, um, he had his glasses at this point, but at one point when he exits, he drops his glasses and someone steps on them, they break them, time enough at last. Uh, but yeah, he doesn't even realize, like, he's like, oh, my glasses, right? So he ends up walking by the pony rides, uh, and it says no license required. And I'll admit my first time through, I didn't really think about it. And I saw like, th- like I saw people on the pony rides and he's like looking and I didn't realize it was the old couple from the bumper cars. And it's the man that, that pa- failed the eye exam riding the donkey with the wife leading it. And it's like, that is like, it's just one of those like sour notes that like, no, no, like not in the movie. I'm just saying like in general, like, Oh, son of a bitch. Like, they're relegated to this donkey ride. Well, and I, I don't know if you noticed too, but the track that they're on—that's actually for those uh, cars that stay on the track. The yeah. old stuff, the old timey cars that were yeah. at Cedar Point. I know what you're talking about. Like, they, like there's that metal line that runs through yep. that keeps the cars on the guide. So, yeah, yeah. So they turnpike cars. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. they purposely took them off of there. I'm sure that was for this message. Uh, it might have also been because of budgets and that. I don't think horses <laughs> are that much cheaper than like. I mean, I mean, who knows at this park at this point? But like, we had to sell cars. To buy asses, like okay, that's fine. I get it, you know, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, that's <laughs> these asses will put butts in the seat. That <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was like like you could have easily done the turnpike cars with him and the, like driving, and then her like just grabbing the wheel. But th- them on a, a pack mule basically it speaks louder. It's a bigger metaphor, right? So yeah, it's upsetting. Um, so then we get to the, probably the longest part of the like the longest vignette. That gets really weird, and it's the fortune teller. Yeah, very sequence. strange. Um, it's where uh, our character walks into um, a fortune teller's tent with a younger couple, uh, and they um, they go to the fortune teller and was like, "Yeah, we want to know our future." And, and then she's like, "You must see it all." And um, did it take you a minute to figure out that like it, she was showing their future? Because because the way the editing on this is a little odd. Yeah, it, 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 the first time I watch it, I didn't know what the hell was going on here. I was very confused. I was like, well, who laced my drink? I, I didn't know what the hell I was watching. Yeah. But upon the second watch, uh, she's even uh, warning them, like, if you really want to see something, you got to see it all. You can't just yeah. take the good. 
Um, no, you got you got to see like this is not going to end well right. for you. Like, and it's like, uh, yeah. So then we get like this flash forward to an elderly couple in like a, like a ramshackle apartment. We find out that it's a like basically a condemned building. Yeah, it's being run by a slumlord. Who, yeah, who like he's having an interview outside too, and um, you know the inter- uh, the uh, what do reporter. you call it? The what's that? The reporter. Talking the reporter. Yeah, the reporter is asking him like, "How come you haven't put any mo- uh, money into this place? How come you haven't uh, made them a made it a better living space for these people?" And he's like, "I, the, you know, there's no money here. These people are on very small f- uh, fixed income, so I can't afford to put any money into it." And he's like, well, why don't you sell? He's like, would you buy this place? Do yeah, you want to take said, this He's up? also like, we've tried selling it where like he's a slumlord, but it's also the notion of like, listen, I'm trying the best I can. I got nothing. Like, what do you want? Like, what do you want me to do? It's like, you're trying to put the screws to me. These people are like assisted living and they're not getting paid anything. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that he's innocent, but he's, he's paying much more like versus like screw them, whatever. Like, like it's just, you get this notion of like, it's bad all around because the older aren't being taken care of properly in terms of their assisted living incomes. Right. Uh, but like the husband's in bed, uh, he's elderly, he's in pain. The wife, um, keeps, um, making like this, uh, journey to a payphone. Kids talk to your parents, what payphones were. Um, <laughs> Back and, in our day. Yeah, and uh, calling the doctor, which um, the, you see the one the doctor picks up, he was wearing like this, um, almost a game show host coat. Yeah. It's obnoxious. But did you notice that everybody in the room with him uh, also had uh, uh, carnival, uh, sorry, amusement park tickets? They're all holding up tickets. Yeah. It was, like it was this whole notion of the idea that like they're still in it and he's like paying attention to them and he's too busy and overwhelmed that he can't talk to the wife in this future vision about her ailing husband. Um, and it's just this whole segment of her running back and forth, trying to call him husband, not doing well and nobody giving a shit. And it's like, it's, it's tough to watch. And the way it's shot is very nightmarish. Like the, the lady who is the older woman, like, like I, I'll give her credit. Like you do not feel comfortable and you're upset with her, especially at the, the point where she runs out of pocket change to make phone calls and she's just asking for a dime and no one is paying attention to her as her husband's like writhing in pain and probably dying. Exactly. She also uh, tells the doctor on the phone that he doesn't want to take his medication. Uh, once she goes back the for the second time or whatever, she comes back and calls him again and says, he doesn't recognize me now. Like he doesn't know yeah. who I am. So like it's it. There is a, a progression here uh, that you're trying to figure, you know, you're already supposed to be figuring out like, Within these small moments, I think it's probably a lapse of like maybe a small, a bigger amount of time that they're trying I, to I represent. I also feel like they're implying that with the rat poison that's sitting on the sink that she's considering, like it's an option. I don't know. Like, I don't. I, I think it was more along the lines of that's a slum because there's roaches. That's yeah. probably that's probably more accurate. I went way darker. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a whole thing. But then after after this young happy couple sees what the fortune teller has to tell them. Uh, they're out. Um, I'm going to guess they're going to have a very strongly worded conversation later. Uh, but the, the young man sees our character, the old man who had happened to be witness to it sitting at a park bench. He just runs over and socks him. The young man hits the old man. I think again, this is me. I, I just, you know, full of beans and fries, uh, <laughs> that I think because of his fear and anger of the inevitable, he sees this old man as a representation of that and just, just socks him. 
that that's the only thing that I was able to come to a conclusion of because there is no other reason for this dude, even if he is upset, to go over and punch an elderly man for no reason. But that's I what happened. Like I feel like he saw too much of himself and what was about to happen and was like, screw you for even being witness to this. And I'm not going to be this. But then, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, he's anyway. like the yeah. representation of that of that anger and that that. that that sad possibility that you're going to, there's that notion we all have of like, I'm not going out like that. I'm not my, I'm not my heritage. I'm not my parents. I'm not my grandparents type of thing. I'm speaking broadly, not specifically, but you know how there's that notion. Yeah, it like, makes a, a lot, yeah. a lot more sense than what I was coming up to conclusions of first. Well, good because I've not been making a lot of sense here. This, <laughs> this is I. We've already went an hour and eight minutes. This thing's 50 minutes long. I, I was telling Terry for a start recording. I'm like, we're not going to go along with this. All right, so we're gonna we're we're almost done though. I promise you guys. Uh, vignette six. Um, this is what I call this, right? The park's empty um, after he gets socked. Uh, <laughs> we see the Grim, Grim Reaper walking across the midway. He really wants to play skee ball. <laughs> he was walking <laughs> towards the skee ball like skee ball is awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of Dogma. Uh, whenever we find out that God comes down to play skee ball. And he was attacked by a bunch of like uh, uh, kids on rollerblades and hockey sticks. One of them was wearing a Moroville Zombies um, jersey in that movie. So connection? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it's got to be a callback, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So at this point, we get one of the, the the most Romero things I believe that happened in this movie. You could you could you could call me out on this because I'm not as as much as a Romero um, a completionist as you. But we have our old man, and all of a sudden, a motorcycle gang shows up, which feels like. There's a checkbox, like a check mark, like ding, motorcycle gang. For whatever reason, he believes that when shit turns sideways, you gotta have a motorcycle gang show up. I was waiting for <laughs> I was waiting for the bugle to blare, like in Dawn of the Dead, when Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought I thought uh Tom Savini was gonna be one of these guys just beating the shit out of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but we get three guys show up, they're motorcycle guys, they circle him. There's a really interesting, like, um, three cut edits of them. Like, I don't know how to describe it. They're all standing still. And then the, the, the next edit is them closer and closer and closer. It feels like something like out of like the electric company or like, you know, early, like, I don't know, um, PBS educational programming, but it's like, it's very upsetting. Cause it's like, what is this? The who is this a video from the who? I don't understand what's going on here. It's like yeah. very strange. This is honest to God. This is probably the strangest vignette of all of them because and it just doesn't make any sense i tried i couldn't figure out what the hell the message well, was i here. did like that they're outside of an area called davy jones locker which was an attraction at the park and you could just tell that they're like we're going to shoot this here automatically i think it's just more like he's all by himself there's young guys that don't value anything we're going to take the rest of his belongings and leave him because as soon as they get done roughing him up and taking all his tickets um, suddenly they're gone and people are back in the park right. walking past our main character and not caring that he's been knocked down and ravaged. So that I, that I can see that's probably what it is. It's like, we also turn a blind eye to those that get taken advantage of, which feeds into what's happening soon in this movie. Uh, it's like, Oh, they're getting abused and attacked. Not my problem. I'll keep on walking. Well, and these people notice him too. He's not just some mirage. Oh no, they, they notice him, but they're not bothered to keep going. They, they, they're not bothered enough to help him. Exactly. Uh, which, I mean, that also kind of feels oddly um, appropriate to what we talked about a couple episodes ago about the Kitty Genovese thing. And also the last episode, we just covered the twilight zone. You know, I'm the night color me black where it's like, 
we're witness to um, abuse and, and trauma, but how can we be bothered to deal with it? Because that's not us. We're still in the park. We have tickets. Screw that guy. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I, I need to get in line before the line blows up over at the Maverick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, I got to go over to that uh, weird uh, bumper cars where there's cops to show up. All right, so, uh, so then that's um, we uh, we get he gets back in line with the other older people that we. So we go back to the Barker from the, the gentleman before you mentioned uh, that was like selling tickets to people, right? The guy that yeah, we he was buying their 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 belongings. Yeah, and. So, yeah, he goes up to him and he needs to get a bandage. Yeah. And uh, so he pays him whatever fee and then he goes in to this shop that has all kinds of walkers and canes and all kinds of stuff that um, maybe like you would find in a uh, retirement home like or like a, a medical supply store. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, uh, yeah. And you just see all this stuff. It's just lined up. And uh, so then at this point. You see all these people going up to the front, like the front desk, and there's like there's there's like possibly doctors and nurses. You're not sure of what they are, like medical people, and everything they prescribe every single time is a bandage, 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 and then they take take the stethoscope to his head, <laughs> <laughs> like right all like pretty much right right on his wound too. Like yep, that that's bleeding. <laughs> like, yeah, I can hear like, it. Oh, I, I can hear bleeding. it bleeding. Oh, you need a bandaid. It's like. But I need more than that. It's like, nah, I just need a band-aid. Rub some dirt in it. Yeah. Um, band-aid and uh, the one nurse, I guess a nurse, uh, she says, oh, well, you know, how are you going to pay? And he's like, well, I, I already paid. It was it was really confusing. It was me. I'm sure it was talking about, like, the, um, the overstuffing of, like, bureaucracy and the red tape that happens with a lot of those, the, those things going on. And then eventually she hands him a cane and was like, here, just go to the back of the line. It's fine. We'll deal with you, whatever. And at this point, that's when he has a cane going forward from the rest. And his uh, his movement is visibly hobbled. Because, well, I mean, I don't know. If you got the shit beat out by a biker gang, you should, yeah, you deserve a cane. And knocked you know? off a bench by a dude in his, like, early yeah, 20s, too. right, right. You know, so, like, bad day for our guy. So... At that point, he gets a bandaid on his forehead, um, and that's whenever um, I would I would that, that's probably a video on its, own, on its own. But per my notes, I have vignette seven. We got him leaving, and then we get to this bit where a bunch of old people keep um, um, they keep being like called out to to basically uh, two hucksters on the midway about like something about like property and real estate and like reinsurance or whatever. Like uh, basically. If you watch daytime television, you've seen these guys talking to old people. Right. Yeah, like, like the guys that sell, uh, you know, property or the, the timeshares. It's Tom Selleck offering you a reverse mortgage is yeah. what it is. So, yeah, one dude, he's trying to buy up the houses, saying that we'll come in and we'll evaluate the property and that give you the fair market price of this home. Yeah. And then the other dude who's trying to get them into what sounds like a timeshare type of situation. or reti- No, it's a retirement home. Yeah. Something like that. Because yeah. there's even a bit, too, it's like castle property, something, something, something. We even see like uh, like tombs like R.I.P. and things written behind. It's like you know, subtlety is not this film's uh, strong point, and that's no. not the point. I get it, but yeah. So there's taking advantage of the old and the infirmed. And at this point, that's when we find out our character has a pocket watch. He looks at the watch, and then another person comes up, and we see a pickpocket going through that is almost the same stature as the rest of them, but he is taking advantage of everybody else. So even at the lowest, there's still somebody willing. To screw you over. Right. Yeah. If it's not the dude who's trying to get you 
in front of your face. It's a dude coming up behind you. Yeah, because he's a lot shows like a bit of kindness of like you know like it's good to have a friend in the music park. And then our character's like, yeah. And then at that point, like this guy's already taking his watch. He's like, it was good talking to you. It's like this right. is like that's a good representation of how uh, the, the phone scams and the internet scams are happening right now, and they yeah. are attacking the elderly. Oh, for sure. So and they're also like... They just got into technology, you know? Yeah, technology, uh, guilt, um, trying to be a friend to start, but not really. Yeah, it's all terrible, right? So then at this point, um, we're, we're almost at the end again. I promise everybody, we're almost at the end. Watch the movie. Uh, we get to what I call uh, Vignette 8, The Freak Show, uh, where they get invited, uh, the, which is also run by the pickpocket. Did you notice that? Yeah. He was wearing the, like the carnival barker gear, and he's like, hey, everybody come in here, we're going to stare at some freaks, you know? Yeah, and so much people like asking for like we need to see freaks and there's a band and a pretty girl opening curtains and uh, everything's been very unsubtle the entire time. This is the most unsubtle thing <laughs> of all of them. Yeah, and it's this still, one it's, slaps you right in oh, the face. Oh gosh, it's like it doesn't slap. It it goes to slap you so hard that it misses you and hits like three people behind you. That's how how heavy handed this is. Like it it knocks you down and it, you're never getting up. And every every curtain open is just older people. Yeah, <laughs> that's like, it. That's it. it well, like the 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 one it was a couple in swimsuits. Yeah. Uh, one of the other ones was a a, um, a veteran in yeah, a wheelchair. The last one was a veteran in a wheelchair, and yeah. and then you hear like the three piece band like playing, you know, yeah. da, 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 and everybody's like, ah, we need freaks or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, get these guys off the stage. And while there's elderly people that are in the audience. And they're arguing with other people in the audience. And all of a sudden we see our lead who's like, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. And that's when the one dude overacted the shit out of this role. This heavier set dude that was in the, with the glasses. Yeah, and he's he, like, lo- he looks like Paul from the 70s. He's Let's just shaking his arms in yeah, air like, one's well, trying to get away. That's, that's I'm sorry, it, it me. So <laughs> I, it's, I'm sorry, that'd be me. That, that's not me, like not attacking the utterly. But oh god, like that that me physically. <laughs> he leads the riot towards the elderly and the freaks. Yeah, that's like all that was missing at this point are pitchforks and uh, torches. Yeah, you know, like get the monster, and uh, so they chase him out, and it's like I don't know. It was it, very heavy handed here. Yeah, and, and you do the thing where he cuts the corner. Our character cuts the corner like it's a cartoon, mm-hmm. and everybody rushes by him. And then he goes to look to sanctuary where we find the two priests earlier that were carrying this uh, the Bible. Suddenly, like they can't be bothered, and sanctuary is closed. Meaning, I also believe that the 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 allegory here. Which uh, let's take a step back. This was uh, sponsored by, um, oh, well, we talked about them already, the uh, Lutheran Service Society of Western Pennsylvania. I don't know how they felt about a pair of like clearly like, you know, Christian religious figures, even though they look like Catholic priests, they had a star of David. So it's kind of supposed to skew a little bit of the, like yeah. what religion it was. Yeah. But, to, but to show like the religious community be like, nah, sanctuary is closed. Meaning like we're cool with like, you know, until until they're a problem, then we're shut down. I don't know if that set well with the, the Lutheran service. Well, and I love that they they put up their close sign and they put a you know they changed the clock so like we'll be back at this time, which is 
like that's not even going to be the in, in the near time and all they do is just go into back of this it's a gazebo too a gazebo. like it, they go into the back of the gazebo and you see them lighting up cigarettes and it's like <laughs> I, I do like that there's a sign hanging off to the left of the gazebo that i know is related to the park and not this movie but it says positively no trucks <laughs> like, i don't know what that means but i like it <laughs> So, so yeah, so there's no sanctuary for our character. Uh, he ends up wandering into like this little tiny slope where there's a family having a picnic lunch or something. And he find he see, well, actually he's walking along a mini golf course and some youths like hip check him and like just judge him and move on. And he's ups- like, again, he's sad by that, which you should be because it's upsetting, but he finds like a, a young girl that waves him over and was like, Hey, um, you know, read me this book. And so we get like this moment of kindness and a moment of innocence as he reads the three little pigs, she offers him food and he has like this moment of solace and that's it. It's a moment. And he's super excited too. It's just like, Oh, somebody is being friendly to me and it's a child, like innocent child. This is awesome. So he starts reading the story and you see that the mom is shutting, shutting down shop. So she's putting all of her stuff back in her uh, picnic basket yeah. loudly too. So you can already see that there's little cues like, yeah, yeah she's going to leave. Yeah. And the little girl gets pulled away. She, uh, the mother pulls the book out of um, our lead's hands and he just breaks down and starts sobbing. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. And I was like, you know, I, I, I mean, you got chicken, but that doesn't that, that doesn't fix the problem, you know. <laughs> no. no, but that, that at that point, that's when we get the wraparound of like he ends up back in the white room, destroyed, and that's when we see his uh, younger self, his earlier self, his unbroken yeah, self, yeah, who still believes that the amusement park has value, right, for him as a patron, right, and that's the wraparound. That that's the very Serling esque, like. Charles Beaumont, whatever, like 12 monkeys, screw you moment. Right. And that's, that's the end of it. Right. Where he's like, I don't want to go out there. And the, his earlier self's like, I think I'm going to. And it's like, and the cycle of this, this terribleness continues. Right. Which we, we saw in a a more recent episode, the, um, the, Anne, the, 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 Anne one, I forget the name of it. Oh, wait, you're talking about, um, (laughs) spur of the moment. Are you talking about Yeah, spur of the moment? Yeah. (laughs) You all thought there was not going to be a, a random yell on this episode. And I'm, I'm wondering if, um, you know, Wally Cook uh, took inspiration from that story because, I, you know, we have poor choices, uh, like not even really poor choices. That, that's the wrong way to work. Uh, look at it. But like the, the, the outside world affecting you because of certain choices that you have made. And this poor, this poor old guy. All he wanted to do was have a good time, experience the world, and he just got shit on the entire time. Yeah. It and just shows you how terrible things can be. So I feel like, and here's the hot take, Terry. You and I are going to fight about this. This is what we're going to fight about right now. That I feel like, I mean, I know this is this is a script for hire, so we can't, I can't put this completely at Romero's feet. But it feels like this is as heavy-handed as a statement as it's as much as when Rod Sterling tries to do a comedy episode where he leans into it too much, meaning like we get it. That's the joke with this. It's like, we get it. This is terrible. Like, I'm not saying that, I mean, this is worthy of a watch. It's just, there's a certain point of like, okay, okay, okay. We had like, can you give us a little bit of nuance? And 
there's not one single shred of nuance in this. And again, by design, uh, we're watching this years later. Your mileage may vary. Uh, but and maybe the Twilight Zone with what it was, where it was like originally like 24 minutes an episode, you didn't have a lot of time for nuance. However, we've been shown time and time again that um, with shorter run times, you can still thread the needle, get your point across without like hitting people with a sledgehammer. Um, again, gun for hire story. We don't know who signed off on the script, whatever. Uh, I think, I think a lot of these vignettes work, but it's, it, they're, they're, it's so absurdist. It feels almost like an art movie that it does. Like, um, I don't know. You said PSA. That's what it was supposed to be. Right. Um, yeah, I just, it makes me wonder what this content could have been with a little bit longer form and a little bit more thought through, you know, and I don't know who would like, is that something that we want to do? I don't know, but this is a bothering movie to me. It is upsetting to watch, um, because of what it is. But I think because it's a little, it's a little heavy handed, a little clunky that it doesn't always deliver the punch that it wants to deliver, but it still lands plenty of blows. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying about all of those points. Um, if there was a little bit of, if there was a little lighter story here, if we would have pulled back on some of that um, and not been so heavy handed, I think it would have still been a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, I I enjoyed this because it is kind of absurd and it, it goes totally to the grain of yeah. like what it's trying to do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. I, I, you're right. It's yeah. it is it's a very absurd movie, and like you know, especially when the refreshments stand in that. It's comical in some ways as well. I think that if you were, if you wanted to, you you probably laugh at some of these moments. But the, I, I, the I think message, Ro- I think is, Romero would say nothing sacred, right? You know? So yeah. But the the message is should be as clear as possible. This shouldn't be happening to people. And it, yep. it's shitty that our main uh, character had to be through so much to get b- broken down that badly by the end of it. And then still have nothing to do to prevent it from happening to the next gentleman, you know, like himself again. Yeah. I mean, so I would, I would toss out that if people, um, if you want a twilight zone, like equivalency, I think you should check out kick the can from season three just because of the malaise and the mindset that the the older people and that retirement home are kind of put into like, well, I guess we're here till we're dead and we can't be kids though. The episode gets a little bit ridiculous where the main character decides to dance in a sprinkler. And everyone's like, he's crazy, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, there's still something to be said though, for how people are treated. Yeah. And, and even, even when we get to it, the kick the can segment of the twilight zone, the movie, right? Mm-hmm. There's that, like kind of whole thing of like just dismissing the elderly and um, cocoon touches on some of that stuff too. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you're right. So there, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of things here that are worthy of unpacking. And like, again, like I reading some of the reviews of this, like I'm going to, I'm going to ask you this. Like, I know you're, you're a big time Romero fan. You're a completionist. Like, is that does that color your viewing of this movie? Because some of the reviews are like, it's like five stars. It shook me. I'm like, it's uncomfortable, but ah, really, like, is that where we're at with this? Like, you know, no, I, I see what you're saying, and um, me being a completist when it comes to Romero doesn't really color my view on this. I think this is this is 
an interesting film. I I, I wouldn't say it uh, was necessarily like good per se on all like all the things all would, was it firing on all the things that I would love about yeah. a movie? No, it does. If it was like if I was to review this in like the five star rating, I can't. It's it's kind of difficult to do because it is more of a PSA thing. It doesn't feel like a movie. It doesn't feel like something that Ramiro would normally do. So I don't put it up in that like pantheon of like what Dawn of the Dead is or what you know uh, Creep Show is. Yeah. This is a, a separate thing. I view it that way. I know that a lot of people feel feel a certain way about this movie, but you're supposed to. You're supposed to be kind of shook by yeah. the events in it. Like I, I think I think I gave this or two or three stars on Letterbox, and I just wrote it's a waking nightmare because it is yeah. right. And it's effective in that regard. I just like. I know we, you mentioned earlier that Romero did a lot of his own editing for a lot of his projects. Um, you know, I would argue that's for good and for bad. Like, I think that editing and directing are two different things and having like a great editor can sometimes like take things and just absolutely change it. Like, um, I know Tarantino, I forget the name of the editor that he had for the bulk of his movies. Like he directed it, they edited it and he had magic. Right. So maybe with this, it's like, you know, he got, he got paid for two hats, you know, fine. It's a paid, paid thing. Uh, there are some weird edits here, but there's also saying we don't know how badly degraded the negative was. Cause there's a lot of weird fade to blacks that happen in this too. Like it's almost right. meant for TV. So we don't know. Like, yeah. so I can't hold all of that, but like, like the fortune telling sequence, the editing in that is just, it is, it's chaotic. It might be purposeful. I'm not saying I like it. You know, so I, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse. It's just, you know, I'm just trying to acknowledge that, like, I appreciate this and watching it twice, like with almost like a couple days of each other, it's an upsetting experience in the right way. And it reminds you like the, I, the notion that this movie was made to make you feel it makes you feel. Do I think it's a particularly good? You're right. It's hard to quantify that. Exactly. And I when I when I look at something like this the the subject matter is so depressing it is so it's it's difficult to watch and yeah. i this is probably going to be in that like catalog of movies that i don't necessarily want to watch again mm -hmm. because it makes me feel like crap <laughs> you know like I, I i i can't watch certain films like um no, so what what's the greatest film you've seen that you'll never watch again uh jeez uh what's the one with uh about drug use. Uh, oh, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. Great movie. Awesome movie. It is depressing as all get out. I can never watch that movie again. Um, for me, it's The Road. And I think I've talked about that previously on the on the, the, the show. Um, you know, Viggo Mortensen, uh, him raising a kid after the apocalypse. Right. Saw in the theater. A well done, amazing film. I just felt like whatever that happens to, uh, to like shrimp when they get like their they're like the poop taken out of them to be turned into like shrimp to be sold. I got gutted like watching that film. I'm like, I'm good. I never need to see that film again, but it was a, a amazingly great film for what it was, you know, like, and this is like, I've seen it twice. I don't know if I need to watch it again, but watching it twice within like three days, it's like, huh, I'm good. I need a hug. <laughs> like, you know, you need to hug an old person. Uh, yeah, I mean, it. I am older than Terry, so if people want to hug me later, it's fine. Like, uh, <laughs> well, because, I mean, I don't know. Like, we're, we're both in middle age, 
you're on the you're on the young you're gonna be like screw you I'm still in the the younger part of surveys when they ask me what my age are you know whatever um, I'm still in that part where I feel like people don't look at you sideways like in terms of like oh are you older or whatever like but I know it's coming um, I don't know how I'm gonna handle that um, you know that's a scary thought yeah and it, even in our intro to this um, just remember you'll be old one day too and I each time that I've watched it I said to myself. God willing, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I live hard. I live fast. Sometimes yeah. I, uh, <laughs> we're all going to leave beautiful corpses. We're not. Gonna look yeah. at <laughs> I ride a motorcycle. We'll yeah. we'll see. You know, <laughs> and I eat beans Fingers and crossed. fries. So one of us is going to look good on the way out. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's something that's it, like every day that the shadow grows larger. You know, in terms of like, you know. I don't know. Like I'm 42. It's like, it, that doesn't sound like a big deal. It bothers me. Like, I don't know. It sounds because it's like in my brain, even though I feel like I've gotten like better as a person, I still, my mental image is always in like the early twenties, no matter where I'm at. Like there's that snapshot of me. Right. And I'm, I can't get past my age. Well, know? and you know, this, you know, this movie definitely brings some of those things at the forefront of how you should feel. And if you, if and when you get older and, you know, it, it is a scary thought in some regards, um, yeah. you hope that, you know, you don't get treated this way, but you know, I also don't feel that I treat people this way, but there yeah. are people like this. They, there are people, there are scumbags out there that don't respect, uh, elderly people and don't treat them well. And uh, it's, it just, you know, some of these things, some of these things that, uh, the system has done, they will continue to do until, Somebody I mean, starts caring a little bit more. If there would have been one bit of him actually having a family there that didn't greet him off the trolley or they moved on, mm-hmm. I think that would have spoken to like the last part of this. Yeah, you know? no, that's a like, good point. Very good point. Um, but yeah, anyway, so whew, um, we've had uh, some tough business last two episodes, right? So we've not solved the world's problems. We've just only talked about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think the music park's worth watching once. Um, again, if you guys need to sub into like, Shutter for the seven day trial. Check it out. There's amazing other fun things over there too uh, to get into. Um, but I think you guys should just check it out. And I think, and in and, and its rough and tumble form, um, I think Serling would have appreciated this. And I mean, in terms of like tying it to the Twilight Zone and the Strange Highways, I think he would appreciate the commentary. Maybe he would have, he probably would have over dialogued it. <laughs> and, and, and the Twilight Zone had a setting uh, in an amusement park more than, more than once. Yeah. So. So there you go. So, all right. I think that's going to do it for our conversation. I mean, there's no twist. The twist is yeah. people are terrible and you should respect the elderly. So we're going to give that, a, we're going to rate that twist to zero. That doesn't surprise us. Um, I don't know about you. <laughs> like be better people. Yeah. And re, you know, hug, hug old people randomly that's without, a, that's with, our without P- warning. No, that's no, don't do that. Um, that's our PSA. Be better people. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right, so uh, before we uh, finish the episode, uh, you guys can find us on uh, Facebook at Strange Highways Podcast. You can uh, email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast@gmail.com. Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us; it'd be greatly appreciated. And Terry, how can people find us otherwise? Uh, so uh, you can check us out on Instagram. We're posting some fun stuff up there. Um, we we love to see interactions. Uh, I have a lot of good feedback from. Uh, some some of the posts that we've been putting on Instagram and that's a lot of fun. And uh had a friend uh of show uh reach out to me recently, had some very nice things to say about the show. He really enjoys it. Um he's very active with us on uh social media and that. So thank you, Bill, for all the love. Uh, we really appreciate it, man. 
Yeah, we do appreciate that. So next week, we'll get the Sounds of Silence's uh, spoiler tuck in. It's going to be one of those episodes. There's going to be more sounds than silences, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, but we, hey, guys, we're in the last 10 episodes of the original series of The Twilight Zone. We're going to march right through. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then when we go to uh, Living Dead Weekend, I'm sure we'll come up with something dumb to report back on and have some fun with that, too. Uh, but, yeah, I guess in the meantime, have a good week. Have a safe week. Uh, be kind. Um, and also, like, you know, don't be a dick to old people. I got, I got nothing. I second that. One of these times, the door will open in your life and you will step into the amusement park full of hope, anticipation for the future, and curiosity for what you will find there. And whether you return to the white room desolate, destroyed, and without any hope for the future, will depend on a number of factors, which, when the time comes, will be beyond your control. In anticipation for that day, consider now that the man in the amusement park is a mirror image of yourself, separated only by the passage of time. Consider taking some positive action while you are young enough to be a positive influence. It should be obvious to all of you that the amusement park need not end in a sterile white room. You can help. If you have been moved to action, there are a number of programs already established which enable concerned persons to offer volunteer services to the elderly. Thank you for watching. I'll see you in the park someday.